Have you ever wondered what it would be like to start a business? How about a home building business? Or even better yet, how about a women-owned home building business? In a historically male-driven industry, more and more women are getting involved in residential construction. Women have made significant jumps into the home building industry over the last two decades and as either as, uh, as operators or as owners of home building companies. And this you can find in both the larger publicly traded companies as well as smaller private companies. Today, our guest has been a pioneer not only for women-owned businesses in the home building sector, but also for building healthy homes for her customers. Her passion for building began when a friend became disabled and needed housing. After searching relentlessly for affordable housing options that could be accessible to someone with disabilities, she realized the greater need for more housing of this type in her hometown of Ohio. This led her to eventually start Karis Homes in 2003 with a goal to build high-performance, healthier homes. Utilizing the latest innovations in building science, such as insulated concrete forms and indoor air cleaning components, she has been awarded many accolades in her field. Karis has won six U.S. Housing Innovation Awards since 2015, five EPA Leadership Awards, and was awarded the grand prize in 2019 for a zero-energy-ready home that she built. In 2010, she was the first female president of the Building Industry Association of Stark County in Ohio. She also serves on the Energy and Environmental Building Alliance Board of Directors alongside with me and many other pioneers in building high-performance homes. And this is really cool. Two of her grandchildren actually work at Karis Homes, and what a pleasure that might must be. Um, so please join me in welcoming Glenna Wilson, the founder and president of Karis Homes in North Canton, Ohio, to our podcast, Building Sustainably. Glenna, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity to be on this podcast today. Um, I'll give Could you a little. You, in- oh, go yeah, ahead, go sorry. ahead. Give us a little introduction of uh, you know who you are in Karis Homes. Yes. Um, like you mentioned, just through a need of a, a friend that had become disabled and looking for affordable, accessible housing in my area, and I, I couldn't find any. I had an opportunity to, my background was sales and marketing, and I had an opportunity to work for a builder. And I came in and created his design centers, uh, created leads, and sold nine houses in the first six months. And he said to me, uh, you have to help me uh, run these jobs. And I'm like, run the jobs. I knew nothing. <laughs> so I put my boots on and my and uh, went to training class. And honestly, I didn't know what a footer was or fascia or soffit. But um, so I worked for him for a f- few years. And then I went to him and said that I needed a ri- raise. And he said, no. And I said, well, I'm going to go off and do this myself. So that's Good when I you. started started in 2003. And uh, at about the same time, my son, who's a civil engineer, uh, had uh, graduated from college and he was working in Pennsylvania. And he introduced to me at that time the insulated concrete forms and also Energy Star. Um, he said, Mom, this is something you have to look into. This is what you need to do. And he gave me a uh, set of D, uh, DV. Was it D? What were they called? D- DVDs uh, at that time. Yeah, DVDs. I'm sorry. <laughs> D- D- DVDs at that time. And yeah. said, watch these. It's going to snow this afternoon, Mom. Just stay home and watch it. And I watched them and I'm like, oh my goodness, he is so on target of what the future of housing. So I guess I always tell people that 
not coming from a building background or anybody in my family that was in building, I didn't have any old bad habits to overcome. So that that's great. And and so it was a fresh slate for you, which is wonderful. And I appreciate the opportunity to really hear more of your story, but the learning part of what has to go into it. I mean, yes, there's a lot of pieces and parts, but it's something that you can pick up with time. Um, you know, and understand the construction, the bones of the home are pretty similar for every home. Just the details are a little different. Um, but when you got on your journey, you know, you, you looked into the zero energy ready home program at some point, and that's a huge learning curve to get up into that program. Um, but you were also the first company of, as I understand it, to build a zero energy ready home in the state of Ohio. How did you become aware of the program and, you know, what led you to focus on on building high-performance homes, taking that whole another level up above uh, where you had started? Well, we, you know, started with Energy Star, and then we participated in Building America program, which was basically a lower HERS score of 70. And as we perfected that, um, I knew there was more programs out there, and I had looked into passive homes. And then in the fall of 2014, I had a homeowner contact me that was moving from Pennsylvania to Ohio. And he was asking me about Energy Star. And after about 45 minutes of questions he asked, he said, finally, I met someone that understands Energy Star. (laughs) And he said most of the contractors he had spoken with were, you know, a few CFL light bulbs and some Energy Star appliances was good enough. So at that time, I did a little bit more research and I found on the internet the Zero Energy Ready program and looked into it. And then I met with the homeowner and my Energy Star Raider at the time and said, this is something I want to do. Are you guys on board? And they all said yes, and they supported me. So many early morning Starbucks meetings uh, <laughs> with co- coffee, sitting around a table with all the individual trades and just going over the specifications and calling, um, you know, calling and getting uh, information from Newport Partners. That was critical yes. for me. And Sam Rashkin's group. Yep, Sam, Sam's group. And honestly, uh, we passed the first house. I, I oh, couldn't believe it. And, um, you know, they picked up the article and the couple of the local newspapers. And then I found out about the housing innovation awards. And um, my daughter at that time was working for the company and she still does all my marketing. She has her own independent company, but she said, mom, let's, let's apply for this award. And the next thing I know, I got a call from one of, one of the people in Sam's group that we had earned a housing innovation award and it was going to be presented in Dallas at the EBA conference. No idea what EBA was, just ordered the plane ticket, went, you know, in the hotel room. And the first morning at the first session, I'm sitting there and I'm like, wow, this is my peeps. These are my people, you know, (laughs) and it has been a wonderful experience just meeting Sam, meeting people like yourself, Tim, and, and, um, Gene Myers and, uh, just all the numerous, I, I could go on and on, the Builder Benchmark Group. Uh, it really has expanded my range of the type of home I'm building today. 
Sam, Sam's been great to our industry. And Sam Rashkin, you know, started Energy Star inside of EPA, Energy Star for Homes. He was a huge um, implementer of that program inside of EPA. And then when he left and went to the Department of Energy, that's when he brought the Zero Energy Ready Home and took it to a whole nother level. And yeah. Sam's been great, um, you know, educating the builders, really working to try to help us understand how to build better, high-performance homes. And Gene Myers with Thrive Home Builders out of uh, Denver, who you mentioned, has also been a great pioneer, not only in high-performance homes, but supporting, you know, EBA, the, the Energy and Environmental Building Alliance, and really helping uh, get that organization of high-performance builders so much stronger and for us to be able to educate more builders to get into these programs. And some of the other things that you've done, um, Glenna, you know, one of the certifications, I know we've talked about this um, in interactions we've had, is the Indoor Air Plus certification program through EPA, through the mm -hmm. Environmental Protection Agency. The Indoor Air Plus, why have you chosen to highlight that program? And what has been kind of the response from your homeowners? In about 2011, um, I had uh, actually met Mike Holmes at um, the Builder Show and certain teen, um, a St. Gobain company was introducing the air renewal product at that time. And uh, I was fascinated by that product. In fact, I think we were the first builder to use it. And I actually installed it at my son's house that we were building. And a lot of the, a lot of my family members have allergies and I was always interested in building um, a healthier home. So I was kind of on the leading edge before I found out about the indoor air program, which I learned at an EBA summit. And at that time, I found out that the EPA uh, was launching that program. And they said that indoor air was four to five times more polluted than outdoor air. So I started like around 2011 and then started a, uh, the certification program, I believe came out in 2015 or 16. I'm not sure on that date. But I, we, uh, I had an intern um, from Kent State that came on board in the summer, and she, Courtney was her name, and she helped me just dig into the specifications and learn more about it. And, and so it was the, I felt it was the perfect like icing on the cake to add to the Zero Energy Ready program. And as a woman in this industry, I always wanted to... I'm different. Okay. And I wanted not to build the same old sticks or bricks that my competitors were doing. And this was an, another layer of excellence I could add to my company. And, um, it, you know, Gene Myers has in his show, um, uh, one of his models, it says it's a picture of a mom feeding her baby in a height chair. And it says the air that she breathes is more important than the food that she eats. Mm -hmm. And, you I've know, it's, that. It's great so image. Yeah, it's a great. And that just in 2016, I, I went out to Denver and Gene met me and took me through several construction sites and also his learning center at the time. And and I'm like, this is the wave of the future. And then now we're in this post COVID world. Boy, is it right on time for people are spending more time in their homes. Some people still have not gone back to work. They're still working out of their homes. So their home is an important piece of their health. What are some of the challenges you've seen in your market, um, Glenna, as it relates to building and, and selling high-performance homes? I know each market is a little different in how they respond to it or understand it. 
What are some of the things that you've seen in, in your area in, in terms of buyers' comprehension of a high-performance home? I think it's really a challenge to develop a user experience message. And what I mean by that, I could talk all day about the building science part of the home, and I love it. I, I'm, I, I um, love the building science, but to, like Sam says in his book, Housing 2.0, uh, the, the why behind what you're doing is more important than the what and the how. Um, you have to connect with that homeowner. Apple does it best with their why message. And my why message is one, Karis is building the home of today or the home of tomorrow today. Two, um, it's the biggest purchase of your lifetime. Why are we, why is the consumer accepting the minimum code, which is right at the legal limit yeah, of barely legal? Barely barely, legal, bar- yes, <laughs> barely legal. And I just tell customers if they don't build with us, at least find a Energy Star partner that mm-hmm. cares about having a third party verifier come in and take the checklist and um, check, have an extra set of eyes checking your the product that you're paying for. And, and again, the performance testing, the performance testing is so important. Oh, it is. And I I just think that we get so caught up in the cost per square foot that, you know, a lot of times when a a prospective homeowner comes to me and asks me, well, what's your cost per Mm. foot? I said, I don't know. What's your selection choices? Are you two bathrooms or two and a half bathrooms? Are you all granite or all hardwood floors? I said, again, you know, let's talk about the performance and the comfort level of the home and how it, you know, I'm using, I always tell people I don't use builder grade products is, you know, I use a better product and just like there's a lot of different cars out there, it all gets, you know, a car gets you from point A to point B. But if you went to the car lot in 2022, well, they're probably releasing the 2023 now it's fall. And you paid for a 2023 car and they rolled out the 2009 model, which is <laughs> the IECC code in Ohio. And it is, that's what it is here too. Yeah. I mean, how disappointed would you be? Yeah, and, right. and, you know, unfortunately, construction is one of the last industries. Farming is the, the lowest and then construction is to change and to be yeah. more innovative and I'm just honored and pleased to be part of the 1% that build to a different standard. What ways do you try to engage new home buyers with your high performance homes, uh, Glenna? I know, you know, we really work hard on that. I know most of us need to because a lot of people just don't understand it. How, how do you approach it, engaging your home buyers? Well, you know, I talk to them about, of course, the energy efficiency and how you know a zero energy ready home is anywhere we've we've calculated it and um you know average home is about 12 cents per square foot um existing home um to heat and cool annually a code built house in ohio is about 7 cents per mm. square foot annually and our homes are about 1.9 cents that's interesting so I, to quantify it that way i like yeah. that so i i show them the um you know, 
the numbers, but then also, you know, I just tell them that our houses sip energy instead of gulp it, you know, <laughs> and then, you know, one of my favorite sayings, you know, I, I'm trying to get, uh, I'm working on uh, bringing electrification to Kara's homes. And one of the ways is with an induction uh, stove in if they want, if they're stuck on the gas stove, I try to say, you cannot build a campfire in my Yeti cooler because that's what I'm, you know, I refer it to it like a Yeti cooler, what we're creating. And, um, and then I talk about the indoor air quality and the MERV 13 filters and just, you know, you want, we only have one set of lungs and, and yeah. d- just c- try to educate them and refer to our website. We have a lot of videos on there, but it's a it's a process of educating homeowners and because um, they're still looking at the quartz countertop and the cabinetry and the flooring and the light. And they always will. And they always will. But that's yeah. a distraction, right? That's the shiny objects. But the, the, those things can be replaced in a short period of time. It, it's, but, but to re-insulate your house and to build the structures that you're building mm-hmm. um, and that the rest of the, you know, the EBA builders are building, it, it's hard to, you can't just swap that out. It's not something that is a plug and play when it comes to energy efficiency in a home. Yeah. And I think it's important to go back to that energy rater. Um, we hold a, a build with confidence seminar. Well, we used to do it three to four times a year and we're, our first one's coming up for this year in uh, November. And I usually have my energy star rater come in and talk about what he does and what he checks before drywall goes on after installation about the perforations and how they're sealed properly and how doors need to be installed properly and windows flashed properly. And, you know, I, I talk about how we've all lived in a house where a threshold has rotted out or um, moisture or air infiltration has come into the home and, and caused many problems. And, and I, I just talk about the extra layers of protection that I do to their home and marrying all those products together. Um, can you talk a little bit more about the innovative products you've incorporated into your homes? What is, what has worked well and what not so well? We talked, you know, about the third party certifications and such, but when you get into the actual products that go into your home, what are some of the things that you're working on? Uh, Glennon, because I know the indoor air quality piece is a real important piece for you as well as, and I love the Yeti cooler example, such a well insulated product that's known well for keeping things, you know, conditioned. Um, and, and I love that analogy that you use. What are some of the other innovative products though, that kind of make up, um, your, your homes and really that, you know, have worked well for you and things that you've experimented in the past that haven't worked so well? Well, I would have to say the insulated concrete forms is probably the most innovative product that we added in 2004. Um, I would always ask a customer, um, you know, tell me four things that you love about your current home and then tell me four things that you don't like. And always in the top four was their, their basement. You know, in Ohio, we have lots of basements like you do. And usually, um, they were musty smelling and wet and we have a lot of uh, waterproofing companies in Ohio. And then I would talk about, you know, the insulated concrete forms and, and how it's mold resistant, 
termite resistant, 11 times stronger than masonry block or poured walls, and that it creates usable living space to their home. And I mean, that's probably been the most innovative. And then recently we added um, the Mitsubishi high performance heat pump as an option, especially to a, a scattered site home that there's no natural gas. And um, that's been really great. I have a heat pump in my house, but it's not a Mitsubishi. And the new Mitsubishi one goes down to minus seven degrees before they use resistor heat. So that, I think that's a product. And then we added um, three years ago, we went down to a two by four wall. We, we were using two by six with rock sole um, insulation, which I love, but we went to a two by four because it costs the lumber. And then we add a one inch halo exterior, exterra, I'm sorry, didn't say that right, exterra, um, rigid foam on the outside and you can tape it and not add house wrap. I still add house wrap just as an extra layer of protection for moisture. Yep. Yep. And that has created a very comfortable home and very quiet home. Um, our 55 plus community that we have is on a pretty busy, uh, state highway. And the first model was right off as soon as you turn into the allotment was on the right hand side. And, uh, you know, a lot of people say, well, it's close to, you know, 241, a busy highway. I go, do you hear the cars? And they're like, oh, oh my goodness, it is so quiet. So not only was it insulating, it was providing a sound barrier for the home. And, um, you know, I try to explain to the homeowner, you know, when your home is insulated properly, you have less air infiltration and you have less prob- problems with allergens enter- entering your home. I know personally that I um, I live in a full ICF home, and my second one, and the first one I built uh, 17, 18 years ago. And um, I used to take a lot of medication for allergies and then went to my annual appointment and the doctor said, uh, you didn't renew your medication. I'm like, oh gosh, I didn't. And he goes, well, are you taking something over the counter? I go, no, I'm not taking anything. And I told him, you know, I had built a new house and explained it to him. Of course, he didn't agree with me, but I no longer take inhalers or uh, Flonase or any of that stuff anymore. So I've heard those stories multiple times from people. And um, you know, that, and I think I've, I've heard you tell those stories of your customers that have been able to go off an inhaler or uh, reduce allergy medication just because you're filtering that air that's coming into the home. And we're not allowing the, the, the mechanical ventilation that we brings in fresh air filters it. And we're not allowing the walls essentially to leak and bring in air, which brings in the, the allergens and, and such. Um, you've done just a wonderful job with your with your indoor air quality of your homes, Glenna. Um, Thank you. You talked about the Mitsubishi heat pump, and that's kind of getting back to the whole electrification. You touched on um, the the induction oven as well, and really there is a big drive to move away from natural gas, just because, well, a number of different reasons. But from an indoor air quality point of view, you know, it, it there's byproducts when you're using natural gas inside a home, and as we build these tighter high-performance homes, we could trap some of that 
in in these homes. So I've seen the use of these electric heat pumps uh, in those LP environments, right, where you don't have natural gas. Because still today, natural gas is 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 very affordable as a utility, but it is a dirty utility at the end of the day, and it has potential problems for indoor air quality in a home, especially if you have a lot of open combustion appliances. Correct. I think um, you know we. It's mandatory that we put a direct vent range hood in every one of our homes in, you know, um, 390 CFMs. And the other component I would like to add, uh, Panasonic and Brome has added, um, you know, the overture for Brome. And we're starting to put those in. We're going to release that here next month at our Build With uh, confidence seminar to teach our homeowners that this is an important item that you need to add. add. Not only that, to mitigate moisture. Um, yeah. A lot of people take long, hot showers. We build these big mammoth showers that you could have five people in and, and uh, they enjoy them. But I think we got to talk about moisture and, and uh, mitigating that quickly. So the products you're referencing there, Glenna, are ones that really monitor indoor air quality and actually take action if the indoor air quality, whether there's too much humidity or it senses too much uh, off-gassing or byproducts from, from natural gas, it automatically kicks on fans to until the levels of that in those specific areas and in those rooms drop low enough or below that threshold. Those are some pretty innovative products. Yes, and I think that it just goes along with the smart home movement yep. and the technology that's coming out, and it's it's exciting to see that. And because um, we we can put the build the greatest house, certify it to the zero energy ready, but we cannot monitor and modify human behavior. <laughs> right, right. The only thing we can do is educate and then work to try to. Um, Allow them to have control, but yet at the same time, automate as much as possible to make the home comfortable, to make it healthy, and to make it more energy efficient. Um, Glenn, I want to shift a little bit. I want to learn more about you know your story and some of the things that you find um, in in our industry. You know, it's apparent that we need more diversity in the home building industry, and it keeps it does keep growing. I mean, there's been a lot of great activity. Um, for diversity, but we we do need more. And for you as a woman leader in this space, what are some of the the ways that we you feel that we can encourage you know more women and more minorities to get into the home building industry? Yeah, this is an area that needs to grow, and you know right now only ten percent of the construction industry are women, and I'm not sure on the minority piece, but I know that. You know, women in the U.S. earn an average of 81.1% of what men make. The gender gap, pay gap is significantly smaller in the construction industry with women earning an average of 99.1% of what men make. And that was just released yesterday. Uh, NAHB released a whole segment on women in construction. And I just think we need to encourage more women to continue to break the glass ceiling of the construction industry and also minorities. And we definitely need more trades. And one of the things that um, I just uh, had a, um, it's called Building from the Ground Up. Our local building association holds it every year and they held it in my community. And 
we had 55 students from local trades, um, you know, high schools and trade schools come in and there was 55 students and only two of them were women. Hmm. And, um, and then each year I try to uh, mentor uh, someone. Um, last year we had a girl named Zoe. She was our local high school. She did an internship with us and she now is taking construction management at Kent State. And she is interning again, working with us. And, and I tried to teach them what they're probably not learning from the local building, you know, construction management courses. And that's the zero energy ready and the indoor air plus. Hmm. So of the, um, let's see what we got now of the 11 leadership team members we have and Tim O'Brien homes, four of them, four of those leaders are, are women. And, um, oh, awesome. and we, we just continue to try to really kind of promote, you know, opportunities within our organization, um, to really get women more involved. And I didn't hear about that statistic from NHB. I missed that, but 99%, I mean, that's, that's amazing. That, that mm-hmm. really speaks volumes for the opportunity that's in our industry, um, for, to, to continue to, to work, to bring more women into it. Um, and, you know, th- like I mentioned early in the podcast, you know, their CEOs of very large, some of the largest home builders in the country are, are led by women. Yes. Um, Century Homes is one. Taylor Morrison is is one. You know, the very, very big builders. And it just continues to grow, which is which is wonderful. What do you see are some of the uh, challenges women face today in the construction industry, Glenna, from your from your viewpoint? And, and it's great to hear that you're you're you have a mentoring program that you're doing with some of the people, some of the women in your local. Um, I mean, area. unfortunately, um, I still, you know, when people meet me, they will say, oh, you mean your husband's the builder? I'm like, mm. no, I'm, I'm, I don't have a husband and no, I, I am the founder and president of the company. And I think women need to know this, that, that there's still this stigma that we can't do this. And I say to every woman out there, don't be afraid of being different. Be afraid of being the same as everybody else, you know, and continue to educate yourself and learn new technologies and just become who you want to be. And part of our culture is always building an innovative, excellent product. And that may mean something different for another contractor, but for us, I don't care if I build a thousand square foot house or a 7,000 square foot house. I'm putting the same quality into it. But I guess I would tell women just be to study and network with other women. And, but honestly, I can honestly say the group that I'm in, the Builder Benchmark group and the EBA group, you guys are so professional. You look, you don't, I don't see any differences in the gender you know you know I, and i've seen that more and more at our, our our home builder associations i mean you know i know both in both the markets that we're in milwaukee and madison have professional women association just to just to draw a bigger group um that make them feel more comfortable and then and then they end up getting more comfortable with the association they end up getting more comfortable with the industry and now we're seeing them start to take leadership roles in other parts of the of the hbas which is absolutely wonderful i know the National Association of Home Builders has a program like that too. 
and it's just just getting in and getting started and you do you know just like the story that you just shared with us your story of how you got started and um you know i have a number of peers here in our market um that are involved in in shelly basso with aspen homes uh, she's owned her own company now for more than 20 plus years and um has a phenomenal reputation in the market and and does a great builds a beautiful home um, there's a lot of great examples out there yes and um i mean i think we all need to work together i mean being a home builder is not an easy task <laughs> it has challenges um you know we have more parts and pieces than a 737 airline uh you know airplane and it's one of the last industries that we're still building that product right in front of the consumer. So they see every aspect of it. Yep. it. You know, when you pick up that new car at the car dealership, it went through an assembly line. And I'm sure there was problems or errors, but they fixed them and they yep. still uh, produce this shiny new um, product. We don't get to do that. You know, our homeowners there sometimes daily checking the site. and. Yeah. Um, so it is a challenge, and I think um, we need to come together, male, female, minorities. We're in this together, and we need to recruit more uh, more people to come into the trades because there's a lack of trades right now. Glenna, as we wrap this up, what do you envision as the future for Paris Homes, and what are some of your goals? What do you want to do in the next five or ten years? Well, in the next five to 10 years, I my main goal is going to be uh, focusing on building affordable, accessible homes that with people for people that have disabilities. And 17% of the population at all times needs an accessible home. It doesn't matter if you're two years old or 98 years old. Um, and we're, we're just not focusing on building homes with zero entry and um, zero entry for the showers and just just making homes comfortable so that we can age in place. And that's what my 55 plus community is. You know, we have zero entry. And um, it, I think that, well, every day in our country, 10,000 people turn 65 years old. And I'm in that category. <laughs> and, um, you know, and we, we need to build, there's a lack of housing and we need to focus on building accessible homes, and then also affordable homes for people that have challenges on a daily basis. And living in their home should not be one of those challenges. I agree. I mean, the aging in place is going to be a big um, product that we have need because people are chained. They want, they want to be able to have some independence and they want to be able to, to still be near their family without, um, their family feeling obligated to house them. And uh, I see more and more of that. I see that in my mom. My mom's 78, 78 years old, and 76 years old, and she's just independent as heck and wants to continue to, to cut her own grass at this point. I'm telling her, stop doing <laughs> that. You don't need to do that. But um, she still appreciates the fact that she has the ability to, to kind of live on her own, and that's what she wants to do. Right. We're living longer. and. Yep. We want to age in place, and if anything we've learned in the last two years, that I think the best place for us to age in place is our own personal home. Yep, yep, more comfortable. Well, Glenna, thank you so much for sharing your story with us today. Um, very inspirational. 
And um, we really appreciate the opportunity to have you on our podcast. Well, thank you. It was an honor. And again, it's it's a real honor to be around all the builders at EBA and in the Builder Benchmark Group. It's been life-changing in my career. Thank you.